0: We consistently see that when indigenous peoples have exercised their their human right to self-determination, their inherent right to self-determination, they have been met with incredible acts of violence.
1: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. To support the work we do and get members-only bonus content, please visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Laura Flanders Show, A Progressive Faith Sermon by Reverend Roger Ray, Counterspin, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, and Democracy Now!,
0: We have the potential for developing a political struggle that will, in fact, cement strategic alliances with environmental justice groups, with elected officials who, in fact, understand the dangers that big oil presents to Mother Earth.
2: There's something huge happening that most people are trying to ignore. If our system is predicated upon continued violence and rape of the land, then there's no just future for us as a society.
3: This is a momentous day, and this is not the end of the movement, just the beginning.
0: This tribe is not the only tribe facing threats from oil companies, mining companies. In fact, we're in a flint moment. But in Indian country, we've had thousands of flints for generations.
2: We have a natural inclination to want to spiritually liberate ourselves and to connect ourselves with the universe. If there's things in the way of that, then we're going to instinctually work toward creating circumstances where we, do, we feel liberated, we feel good, we feel like how you feel when you sing. Or when you dance, or when you laugh, or when you're able to disconnect from time, from from the clocks, from currency, from your credit cards, from your ID, like at that camp.
4: We owe it to our ancestors to fight to live. And we have answered that challenging spirit that is in each and every one of us. So the linear age of man is over. And it's time
5: for the woman to step up.
4: The circular motion must be put in place.
6: You can't learn this in the book. You can only learn it with face-to-face contact and that open heart to say, I give of my day or give them a half of my day or a couple of hours, because when you learn these things, it's it's a gift to you that you can take home and share with you know others and share with your loved ones because
7: it's free, you know. Uh, it'd be sad if you if we all kept these gifts to ourselves and then we died with these gifts and we didn't share them. I know the Creator would be
6: pretty upset that we didn't share those. So um, yeah, there's a bigger picture that's really missing out of this, and that is. Getting in touch with who we are as human beings.
8: I really have a lot to be grateful for. I'm receiving so much love. Here I don't know when I'm gonna go home.
9: Just <laughs> we are no longer in camp. We are a community
4: yeah.
5: There are 7000 people 7,
4: society. We are universal and we are a pluralistic society and that encompasses God. <laughs> um, we are talking about a voting block to get our tribal member into Congress in the state of North
5: Dakota. <laughs> The fuel is coming to an end. The seventh generation is here now. We're
9: ready to
5: take the lead and take the fire. And take
2: Happening right now is extremely important for the larger picture and what's going on. But I don't know how to make it live, other than, you know, everybody who's there has to take a little bit of what's good there and keep that flame lit, keep tending that flame and making making sure it never ends.
10: I listened to a few Thanksgiving sermons online this week, and I got to tell you, I was shocked and dismayed by how many otherwise seemingly intelligent speakers still talk about Thanksgiving in the mythic terms of a grand meeting of generous natives with struggling European settlers. I'm not going to argue the finer points of that first Thanksgiving today, but suffice it to say that your elementary school plays didn't give you a very factual account of that first meeting. By the time the pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts, European diseases were already spreading across North America and the native population was realizing what would be the beginning of an eventual genocide. There were instances of cooperation and trade between whites and Indians, but mostly it was a competitive relationship between millions of Native Americans and thousands of well-armed Europeans. The first reflex of Christopher Columbus upon meeting Indians in the Caribbean was to capture them and take them back to Europe as slaves. The first reflex of starving European pilgrims was to rob Indians of their food, and this is an ugly thing to have to relate in public and church, but European settlers actually dug up the fresh graves of Indians and ate them. Not, I must admit, the only instance of cannibalism among our founding fathers. There were other instances where men killed their wives and ate them. And they didn't eat turkey on Thanksgiving, they ate eels. I didn't want to bring that up before Thanksgiving, but we all need a little reality orientation, don't we? There were moments of sharing and trading and positive contact, but when you talk about the European settlement of North America, you have to draw the lens back and look at the whole thing. What happened was not just a sit-down dinner of beans and corn and, let's call them fish, that's easier for you all to think about than eels, but it it was eels. We stole food. We stole land. We violently killed millions of Indians. And I don't think that you can accurately say that white settlers are responsible for the approximately 90 million deaths of Native Americans that took place. Smallpox was more successful than our cavalry. But our swords and our muskets had a lot to do with it, and so we should not be surprised that Native Americans don't have a lot of fuzzy, warm feelings about Thanksgiving. This year on Thanksgiving, we were in the midst of a Native American civil rights movement whose images of attack dogs, tear gas, rubber bullets, and fire hoses being turned on the Indians gathered at Standing Rock in North Dakota rivals what we saw in Mississippi and Alabama during the civil rights demonstrations of the 1960s. And thank God for the internet. Without it, most of us here would have never even heard of the Dakota Access Pipeline Project. When the corporate media says anything about it at all, it's usually propaganda to cover up the illegal activity of the pipeline company and local law enforcement. When the story was first told about turning fire hoses on protesters in sub-freezing weather, we were told that, oh no, they were just extinguishing fire of cars that had been set on fire. But thank God for Facebook real-time video. I never thought I would thank God for Facebook in public, but, but, but they showed endless samples of video of there, there was no fire. They were spraying people to make them cold enough to go away. Now, the Dakota Access Pipeline is a 3.8 billion dollar project, and most of the 1,100 miles of the pipeline have already been constructed. I wish the whole project could be scrapped. I wish it could. The oil that they are going to bring through that pipeline needs to just stay in the ground. It's sequestered uh, carbon (coughs) that really doesn't need to be released into the atmosphere. But it's going to be finished. Still, I hold out some hope for some solution other than putting a segment of it under the Missouri River on Sioux land. But there's probably too much money behind the project to stop it entirely. More than 3,000 people who are determined to remain camped out at Standing Rock through the winter are unlikely to be successful if you define success in terms of stopping the construction entirely. But there is a larger victory here. The Indian demonstrators, who prefer to be called water protectors, are in their protest raising a lightning rod that is bringing indigenous tribes together in a more powerful way than has been seen for hundreds of years. A friend to many of us here, Stacy Wheeler, just returned from spending a week volunteering at the camp, and she has decided to just come back, get her affairs in order, and return to the camp indefinitely. The camp is following very strict rules of nonviolence, demanding that everyone there follow the law. There are no weapons allowed and not even anything that could be mistaken for a weapon. They allow no drugs or alcohol in the camp. They are devoting themselves primarily to prayer and to religious ceremonies. They are living communally, sharing food and shelter, and using their own bodies to impede construction of the pipeline. The excessively militarized security guards working for the pipeline company and those deputized by the Morton County Sheriff's Department <clears throat> have sprayed down hundreds of demonstrators with fire hoses and sub-freezing temperatures that they had literally trapped on a bridge where they could not escape the water. They used tear gas, rubber bullets, and attack dogs among peaceful demonstrators. One woman nearly lost her arm being shot by a tear gas canister, and she is currently hospitalized where they're trying to save her arm. Lately, crop-dusting airplanes have been flying over the camp at night, spraying what is believed to be pesticides on the camp. According to my friend Stacy, just about everyone there has developed skin irritations and a persistent cough from whatever it is that they are spraying on the demonstrators in what can only be called chemical warfare by the American government against Americans. <clears throat> Several of the deputies brought in from surrounding counties have abandoned their post, refusing to support the unjust and probably illegal practices of the Morton County Sheriff. Some of his own staff members have quit their jobs and join the Indians in the camp. I believe that this pipeline will eventually be completed, but I also believe that the Standing Rock Sioux have already won the moral battle. And the longer they can remain encamped in large numbers, the more the media will have to start telling the story of this 21st century civil rights movement. But just like in the days of the civil rights movement of the 60s, the pipeline company and the government in North Dakota are sure, they are certain, that their aggressive tactics and the harshness of the Dakota winter, and now uh, an order for them to vacate the premises, will wear down the Indians. Our federal government has already sent FBI agents to infiltrate the camp. Obama, President Obama, is doing nothing to stop the abuse of Native Americans and the other supporters in camp there, and Donald Trump has received millions of dollars in political donations from the pipeline company. You might say that the die is already cast. But I want to leave you with this one thought. Just before the Battle of the Little Bighorn, General George Custer wrote in a letter reassuring a friend, there are not enough Indians in the world to defeat the 7th cavalry.
11: General Custer
6: got his orders to attack the mighty Sioux, so he and Captain Benteen and Major Reno too took 600 of the finest in the 7th cavalry and
10: marched them off to glory and a place in history.
6: Only soldiers marching to a date with crazy horses Two hundred twenty men would not get through.
9: While elite media wait for the protesters resisting the Dakota Access Pipeline to go away, so they can return to presenting their own chin stroking as what it means to take climate change seriously, independent media continue to fill the void with actual coverage. You can go to theintercept.com to find video from journalist Jihan Hafis from North Dakota, where the Standing Rock Sioux and their allies continue their protest. Hafis reports that after a morning of prayer, protesters were attacked by police who used pepper spray and beat protesters with batons. She writes that dozens of officers, backed by military trucks, police vans, machine guns, and non-lethal weapons violently approached the group without warning. As protesters attempted to leave, the police began beating and detaining them. Several women were targeted and dragged out of the crowd. Among the arrested were journalists, a pregnant 17-year-old and a 78-year-old woman. Once jailed, Hafiz writes, she and others were refused phone calls and received no food or water for eight hours. Women were strip-searched, two fainted from low blood sugar, and another had her medication taken away. On her release, Huffis was told, your camera is being held as evidence in a crime. That crime, of course, would be journalism, and it's hard to believe law enforcement would feel so cavalier about treating it that way if more reporters would actually commit it.
2: We thought this was low. Well, it's bad getting worse. where all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV shows.
1: With the holidays almost here, there's no time to go to the post office. There's traffic, parking, it's gonna be packed with everyone mailing holiday gifts and packages. So, what do you do instead? Use stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can avoid all of the hassle of going to the post office during this busy holiday season because everything you would do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer, and you can even use their free digital scale to get precise postage. I used Stamps.com while building my eBay store as a teenager because the benefits of not having to make all of those trips to the post office was obvious to me even back then. Uh, Now, of course, my eBay empire eventually collapsed when I decided to go work with my friends at the local pizza place, but Stamps.com remain strong for the next generation of entrepreneurs like you. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code BEST for this special offer, a four-week trial plus $110 bonus offer, including postage and that digital scale I mentioned. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the word BEST. That's Stamps.com. Enter BEST.
3: And all I really want to know is where all the good people go.
0: When we talk about rights in the United States, when we talk about human rights in the United States, we often do that from a distance. Um, However, when you come to a place like this and you see um, our constitutional rights be violated, when you see the civil and political rights be violated, when you experience and see human rights be violated, it changes your perspective on where we are as a country, where we are as indigenous peoples in the United States. And what I have seen is that we are very far um, from having our rights meaningfully and fully and effectively protected. Um, We continue to have um, uh, uh, violations of rights. We continue to have the the treaties, um, Indian treaties, that have been violated, and we, we consistently see that when indigenous peoples have exercised their their human right to self-determination, their inherent right to self-determination, they have been met with incredible acts of violence. And that is unacceptable here in the United States, and that is unacceptable anywhere in the world. Indigenous peoples have a right to their lands, territories, and natural resources. They have a right to their sui generis legal systems and their self-governance. They have a right of self-determination, and by virtue of that right to pursue their economic, social, cultural development. That is, that is a right, um, that is a human inherent right, and that is what this camp is about. The people
5: gonna rise like
11: the water, we gonna face this crisis now. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter saying shut this pipeline down.
0: The ways in which uh, they have come to do that development, which was without adequate consultation or consent. On the other hand, it is also to to build the future. To say that Indigenous peoples are no longer going to allow their rights and their futures to be robbed from them. That is no longer acceptable to to, to steamroll development projects in Indigenous territories without seeking their consent and without considering how those decisions, those developments of their natural resources jeopardize their survival as a people's for the future. So we're very much here to stand for life, to stand for indigenous people's rights and a paradigm of rights going forward. Um, as, as you're aware, um, after the injunction was denied in DC, the intervention by the Department of Justice, the um, Department of Interior and the Department of Defense Um, stated two recommendations in the intervention. And one was to reconsider the consultation and consultation policies in the United States. And the other was uh, uh, proposed legislation that would change the statutory framework of the United States. And so if they are truly in good faith with those recommendations, then we certainly have um, a conversation and we certainly have much to tell them in how we would like to see that statutory framework of federal Indian law be changed to align with indigenous people's human rights. And indigenous peoples throughout the United States have put pressure on the state party, the United States, to change their laws so that we can avoid the human rights violations which have occurred and which have indeed um, brought us here. We would not be here in this camp if federal Indian law was not obsolete. Um, if we would not be here if indigenous human rights were protected, were meaningfully protected. And so this is why we're here because we're demanding um, that things must change. And you know, they've they've come after um, indigenous peoples uh, in so many respects. They've taken the children, um, they've taken our land, and now they've tried to take our water, which is our very essence of survival as a people.
9: That was Michelle Cook, one of the legal counsels for the Ocheti Sakowin camp.
0: It is unacceptable that a corporation or any entity would threaten the ability of a peoples to survive, to exist. That is genocidal. Decisions which threaten the ability of a people To survive is genocidal call it by any other name call it progress call it manifest destiny that is what's happening in america a war by other means against the most vulnerable people the first americans here and so we're saying no we're saying no that america can do better that this world can do better by indigenous peoples and we are here to build that future and if the government in that intervention is inviting us to dialogue, to say that how can we change the laws? Well we have a lot of recommendations for them. One is to enforce the treaties that were signed by our governments and our nations, our tribal nations. Those treaties must be enforced. Human rights to consultation and to free prior informed consent must be respected and meaningfully and effectively um, executed the protection of sacred sites and the protection of our ability to exercise our religious expression and freedom must be part of that way forward. If we are truly and in good faith wanting to change, as that recommendation uh, said in that intervention, then that is what must be done. And so we're uh, the people here and, and going forward will be um, in a position to negotiate. But it's not going to be on their terms. It's no longer going to be on their terms. Business will not carry on as usual. Because we want to live. And we want to live as free people.
11: We're going to face this crisis now. I hear the voice of my great granddaughter
5: saying shut this pipeline down. I hear a voice of my great granddaughter singing, shut this pipeline down.
1: So, Bobby, I know you're just back from uh, Standing Rock. And uh, obviously, you've been out there, um, seeing the protests up front, seeing the, um, the, the violence, frankly, uh, perpetrated by it seems to me the uh, the police officers and the, the 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 private security there, but but one of the things I want to ask you is what is the legal status? Like, what, what exactly? Where are we in this process?
6: Um, well, that's a really good question. The the because it is the central question that the the pipeline company is in blatant violation of the law, Sam, and they. The law that they're in violation of is the National Environmental Policy Act, which is was our first big environmental statute. It was actually passed a year before Earth Day in 1969. It's the most important environmental statute. That's the statute that says that before you get a federal permit to to diminish or change or um, alter uh, or change the use of federal. Uh, assets, federal commonwealth lands, water, um, you know, open, uh, open federal range or whatever. You got to get a permit. You have to get a federal permit. If you, if you need a federal permit for it, you have to do an environmental impact study. You have to tell the public what the true costs and benefits of that use of, of public resources is going to be what the outcome the cost and benefit who's going to benefit how much the benefit is what the cost is when congress passed that when they when they debated it some people raised the issue in congress and said well wait a second you need a federal permit to put a piling on a dock to change the piling on a dock do we really want to have a full environmental impact statement every time somebody wants to change a piling do we want you know, and the mandate for hearings and public comment and scientific studies. And Congress said, well, no, not to do minor projects. And so they cut out an exception for projects that will have no significant environmental impact and that involve less than an acre of land. So you need those two criteria and it's called the nationwide permit 12. And for that, you can do a fast-track study. So this pipeline, which is 1,200 miles long, is claiming that it is invoking the the loophole of Nationwide Permit 12. They're pretending that it, there's only an acre of disturbance. But it's 1,200 miles. Now, XL Pipeline didn't even make that pretense. XL Pipeline, which is only seven miles longer, did the full environmental impact study. And this, and not only does it not meet the one acre and less criteria, it also doesn't meet the criteria of no significant environmental impact. The carbon discharges alone from this project are going to exceed the carbon discharges from 12 or 29 coal-burning power plants. The project crosses 209 rivers and streams and Even a single crossing of a single stream has been deemed by the courts to be a significant environmental impact requiring the whole project to do an EIS. But they didn't do it here. So you have a law-breaking company that is an an outlaw criminal enterprise that is building the study. uh, Environmental defense sued them, but while the suit is happening, they're building the pipeline anyway. How do, they assert, it, Bobby, how do they assert, but Bobby? How do they
10: assert that they're well, eligible this, for permit twelve? Are they just this, able it, to do it's, that? It's insane.
6: It is an insane insertion. But none of the national press, and this is another aspect of this: the press is not covering this. The press is only, and you have here. Let me just set the, the stage for this. You have a, you have a a, a law breaking corporation, an oil company that is now arrayed against a law-abiding group of Sioux Indians and and 300 tribes, the biggest gathering of tribes in a century but they're extremely disciplined when you go into the, the camps there are committees there that that um, that ensure that everybody that strictly enforce peaceful demonstration protocols, that train the people in peaceful demonstration, that, that do psychological profiles, so you can vet the people so that you can't go to the front line of the demonstration unless you've been vetted, unless you've been trained in peaceful demonstrations. So they, and they are incredibly restrained, incredibly disciplined about making sure that there's no law breaking on their side. Uh, and so you have. And then, Sam, the scariest thing about this is that you have all of this very, very sophisticated new weaponry that the, the, poli- the police are completely out of control out there. It is, it, it's the most insane. It's like Orwellian. And they're using all of this new weaponry, these, these vehicles. They're using uh, sound cannons, which it, it literally makes you feel like your bones are are breaking when they when they release that thing on you. Water cannons that they shoot when there's it's twenty degrees out there and they're you know they're gonna freeze people to death. Um, plastic bullets which they're firing at people shooting you know elders from the Indian tribes. Um, uh, mace, pepper spray, tear gas, and all of this stuff is being deployed at the same time. These tear gas grenades that we've never seen before. And then they have trucks on every hillside that have cameras, these, these kind of devices mounted on them that do, that are facial recognition devices. They have military drones flying over the camps. They have some mechanism that nobody knows what it is, but they're capable of turning off every cell phone in the camp all at once, including the cameras. So they're testing all of this crowd control and civil control equipment out there out of sight of the rest of the press. And, you know, I did a press conference out there and there were a lot of cameras at the press conference, but there were no national news cameras. The mainstream media is not covering this. They were from the Young Turks and they were from RTTV and – you know all these kind of alternative media outlets and if you look at how the national news is covering this they're they're covering it from the perspective of the pipeline company and the state so the state has deployed the, this awesome military power on behalf of an of a law breaking oil company against a peaceful law abiding crowd of american citizens and it's all being d- done out of sight. The, the narrative is being crafted by the state and fed to the mainstream media, which is reporting it as if here's a bunch of Indians who are getting out of hand and you know, they, somebody needs to, to put them back in line. And that really is how it's being covered. And nobody's out there looking at the truth, which is the police state out there is completely out of control and the the indians are behaving better than anybody could ever expect them to behave citizens of this mighty land are you aware of what's
12: at hand some law enforcers in our country abuse their power and authority
1: this is a stressful time politically seasonally socioeconomically you get the idea so making time to relax is critical and now with Soothe, it's even easier to find that time. I've long suffered personally with back and shoulder pain. Sometimes it was from long hours of driving and physical labor, and others it was just from hours and hours in front of the computer. There have even been times when getting a regular massage was critical to just keeping me going. So whatever your reason, take the time to take care of yourself. And now, whether you're at home, at work, or traveling, Soothe makes it easy to deliver a licensed and thoroughly vetted massage therapist to your door in as little as one hour. When it's time for your massage, they'll arrive with all of the essentials for a quality spa experience, including table, fresh linens, music, oils, and lotions. You can book your massage in less than 10 seconds on the mobile app or website at soothe.com, that's S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and this week my listeners can get $30 towards their first massage with Soothe when entering the promo code BEST at checkout. Just search for Soothe in the App Store or Google Play and download the app or go to www.soothe.com and schedule your appointment today. That's soothe.com, promo code BEST for $30 towards your first massage. Soothe, massage delivered to you. To and serve us. They abuse and oppress. Us.
7: They must- Breaking news coming out of North Dakota. An apparent victory for those who have been protesting a proposed pipeline. We're realizing we, the people, have a lot of power.
5: Stop the pipeline!
2: People are tired of being pushed around. This country needs this.
11: This struggle is more than just against one pipeline. It's part of a much bigger transformation that we're seeing.
2: There's eminent domain for private gain going on all over this country. There are people fighting pipelines all across this country.
9: We have the eyes of the world right now. This is crunch time.
2: Pipelines break. They all break eventually. After this fight, we're still going after another one. In 2012 alone, 16 million gallons of oil, gas, and wastewater and fracking fluids leak onshore in the United States of America.
6: It is all oil.
2: That's more than the Exxon Valdez.
8: How did corporations get this big where they can
0: manipulate the legal system?
3: They're getting sick from this tar sand
0: oil. There are people here who worked on pipelines who realize that something like this has such an
7: impact on everyone. It's important that we start treating the earth and our water and everything very differently. The water in Flint, Michigan at my daughter's house.
5: This has been going on for over two years. This is what they've
0: been drinking. In the Amazons, 80 million gallons of oil spilled. In Fukushima, radiation contamination is now in the millions of gallons pouring into the ocean. In Canada, we are having issues with Nestle
9: using up all of our water resources.
6: We pretended groundwater was some
1: separate part of the system that we could ignore. We can't ignore it any longer.
9: Understand, it is about climate change. All of this is intertwined.
11: There's a lot that needs to be protected. There's a lot that needs to be healed.
9: See it coming up
11: and that that can be an opportunity for us to gather in a way that we never have as a species before.
9: This is the start of the climate revolution. It's real. You need to mobilize. As a people, we have to stand up in solidarity together. We're all part of this,
0: and we all have a part to play.
9: It is about that collective voice.
0: We have to protect this resource for everyone, for the future.
9: The bottom line is, you have to move physically. We're doing this for you too, your children, your families.
0: It's going to be our number one issue.
9: It's time.
2: Now. We have democracy on our side. We have the people on our side.
12: When millions of people stand up and fight, they win.
5: a soldier, soldier with an order, so I have no choice but to trust the God, cause it must be done.
8: We're going to turn now to our last segment across the world. Protesters have been targeting banks demanding they divest from the $3.8 billion Dakota Access Pipeline. This is a member of the Bellingham No Dapple Coalition at a Wells Fargo branch in Washington State Saturday.
12: We, the Bellingham uh, No Dapple No Dakota Access Pipeline Coalition, are here in attendance today, December
7: third, two thousand sixteen, at the Wells Fargo Branch in Bellingham, Washington, to protest institutions' investment in the Sunco Logistics energy transfers
12: and energy transfer equity. Refuse to be silent, Uh, community members, in your decision to support the destructive, destructive fossil fuel economy in general and the Dakota Access Pipeline in particular.
8: This comes as a new report exposes the rickety finances behind the Dakota Access Pipeline, as they say, published by the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis and the Sightline Institute. It spotlights a potential economic weakness of the project, the January 1st deadline by which energy transfer partners have promised oil companies it would have completed construction. Missing the January 1st deadline opens up the possibility the pipeline company may lose its contracts with oil companies. Well, for more, we go to Seattle, Washington, where we're joined by Clark Williams-Derry, director of energy finance at the Sightline Institute, uh, co-author of the new report "The Rickety Finances Behind the Dakota Access Pipeline," and we're joined by Michael Vendiola, member of the uh, Swin- Swinomish Indian Tribal Community, who helped organize a protest at Wells Fargo Saturday in solidarity with Standing Rock, as well as with the Canadian First Nations resisting another major oil company, um, the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Expansion Project. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Um, Let's begin with Clark. Tell us, summarize your findings. Why do you talk about the rickety um, financing of the Dakota Access Pipeline?
7: That's a good question. So really, one of the fundamental findings of our report was that the oil market has changed dramatically dramatically. Uh, since the pipeline was first proposed in early 2014. Back then, oil prices were at $100 a barrel or more, um, and oil production in North Dakota was rising. It kept rising and rising. And all the forecasts said that oil prices were, were gonna remain high and that oil production in North Dakota was gonna remain robust. But almost as soon as the company signed up its first set of shippers, the first committed uh, commitments from oil companies to ship through the pipeline, uh, you started to see the oil markets collapse. You saw uh, prices fall from $100 a barrel down to $50 a barrel. Um, and as that happened, uh, oil companies in North Dakota started to pull back. They stopped. They weren't drilling as much. They, a lot of them were starting to lose money from some of their oil uh, projects in, in the Bakken region in North Dakota. Uh, and so what you started to see is a decline in production. You've already seen a 20% dip in production in uh, the Bakken region uh, since oil prices started to collapse. If, and it's still collapsing, it's, it's, it's still declining by a percent or two every month. And if those declines, that decline in production continues, um, well, it's not clear that the, the, uh, the pipeline's capacity is going to be needed at all. There have already been a bunch of pipelines built and approved. There's a lot of—there's uh, refining capacity in the region. There's oil-by-rail uh, capacity in the region. The, 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 the extra capacity of the Dakota Access Pipeline just may not be necessary. Um... And that poses a real risk to the company. So
8: January 1st, this deadline. Um, what happens if oil shippers, oil companies choose to renegotiate their contracts?
7: Yeah, that's, this is something that's come up in the court uh, in in court cases several times now. The uh, lawyers for the Dakota Access Company has said that they have a, a, that their committed shippers have the right to terminate their contracts if the the company doesn't meet its its, uh, its January first deadline. We don't know. We've actually heard a, a few things uh, suggesting that oh, it's just an informal deadline, but they've very argued very clearly to the courts that it's not informal. That this is an actual contractual deadline. Um, if some of the shippers were to pull out. Of the Dakota Access Pipeline at that point, uh, well, you could see it, it could start to uh, create a financial disaster for the company. The, the company really depends on those contracts. You can actually imagine that some of the, the the oil shippers might be thinking, well, you know, with production down, with prices down, maybe we, this would be a great time to pull back from our commitments to the pipeline. Uh, and in fact, I think the investors in those companies should be at should be encouraging the oil shippers to to pull back, to take a second look, uh, and uh, think about whether it makes sense for the long run. In a, in a region where oil production is, is, is falling, you don't want to make a 7 to 10 year commitment to keep shipping oil through the, through the pipeline. You're just going to wind up wasting money.
1: You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed, angry, and motivated, it's time to take action. Not next week. Definitely not next month. Right now. Today's activism call on President Obama to make Standing Rock a national monument. While the news that the Army Corps of Engineers denied the final permit for the Dakota Access Pipeline and will be producing an environmental impact statement is a huge victory for the water protectors, this is not over yet. We have less than seven weeks to push President Obama to make Standing Rock a national monument through the power of the Antiquities Act." A proclamation under the Antiquities Act is not the same as an executive order, which could easily be undone by Trump. Congress would have to pass a bill abolishing the monument, Trump would then have to sign that bill into law, and then the courts would still have the final say. The courts have a long history of supporting the Antiquities Act when challenged, but at the very least, the legal battle would take a long time. Every day has been harder and colder for the heroic water protectors in North Dakota, who have been viciously and unjustly attacked while they remain unarmed and nonviolent. Meanwhile, President Obama could end all of this and come out on the right side of history with the stroke of a pen. So pick up your phone and call the White House today to tell President Obama to protect the water that millions rely on by making Standing Rock a national monument. The number to call the White House with your comments is 202 456 one 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 one. That's two zero two four five six one 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 one. We also urge you to email the president by going to whitehouse.gov/contact, backslash and even write and mail a handwritten letter to the president. We know that he reads ten of the public's letters every night that his team selects as representative of all the emails and letters that come to the door. So let's make sure he's getting letters about the moral obligation to making Standing Rock a national monument every single night. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. So if protecting our water from big oil is important to you, then be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about calling on President Obama to make Standing Rock a national monument via social media so that others in your network can take action too. Stand up, fight back, there is no time to lose.
5: So what are we gonna do?
12: So at Standing Rock, uh, water protectors have been uh, out there trying to make sure the Dakota Access Pipeline does not drill uh, past uh, the Missouri River and Lake Oahe for a long, long time. And when they first got out there, uh, of course, uh, a lot of folks thought that they had no chance. And I'm sure that a lot of people thought, why bother? You guys have no power. How in the world do you think you can possibly win? This pipeline costs $3.8 billion. Energy Transfer Partners is the uh, main company that's running this. The Code Access Pipeline is their subsidiary, and they've put so much money into this, and it appears that they have the whole government behind them. And when they built an encampment uh, and more protesters started to show up, more water protectors, well, people thought, well, that's cute, but look, the military I was going to say military, that's a funny Freudian slip. Um, The police came in heavily militarized with their Humvees that looked like tanks, and they lined up, and at different times they launched uh, tear gas canisters, which, by the way, started fires. Uh, They did water cannons in sub-freezing temperatures. Uh, There was a woman who nearly lost an arm, uh, and there were rubber bullets, and all these different things that the police did, and they thought, what? chance do you have water protectors why don't you just wrap it up already but then something curious started to happen Um, we had all of a sudden tribes from a lot of different parts of the country start to come support their brothers at Standing Rock and then we had environmentalists come and start to support them and then slowly um, the independent media uh, came and so of course the greatest credit goes to the people who've been out there from day one um, in terms of independent media, our job is to at least shine a light where uh, the corporate media chooses not to participate. They don't find it an interesting narrative. Uh, they think there's not a lot of money to be made. They might, in fact, cost the corporate world some money. So they have no interest. They were never going to show up. Now, the last part of the story is uh, happened recently. We had 2,000 veterans that decided they were going to go and support the water protectors. And it, they were led by two guys, Wes Clark, who is uh, Young Turks' host, and Michael Wood. And Michael Wood's the cop that I always tell you guys, former Baltimore cop. I uh, interviewed him on TYT interviews, part of Wolfpack. And those they're both veterans. In fact, uh, Wes's nickname uh, on the Young Turks is the Cavalry. <laughs> so they decided... Why not do it literally? So they organized 2,000 veterans. They raised an incredible amount of money. And and they got out there. And all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the police that were supporting the North Dakota police from other states started to melt away. Uh, And then the state police decided in North Dakota that they are not going to block the roads. So there was no showdown with the veterans as they were coming because some thought that that might happen. No, they let the veterans in. And then over the weekend, President Obama announced. There will be no easement. They are not allowed to drill on his watch. In fact, he called for, and the Army Corps of Engineers called for specifically, an environmental impact statement. Now, that is what they're supposed to do by the law. In fact, Standing Rock, Sioux Nation, was right all along. There was no environmental impact statement, and by law, there needed to be one. Now, if Trump comes in and tries to cancel that, well, he would be in violation of the law. Now, maybe he wants to do that anyway. That's up to him. But for the moment being, there is no drilling allowed, according to the government. And an extra wrinkle to this is that if by January 1st they are not drilling, they have to renegotiate a lot of their contracts. Now, they made these contracts when oil was very expensive. Now, it costs less. A lot of the other people that they have contracts with might not want to do those contracts again. So it is possible not over yet and we don't know how it's going to play out and obviously their contracts they're going to renegotiate in private but it is possible that if they cannot renegotiate those contracts after the deadline runs out on january 1st and they don't have the pipeline completed that that pipeline does not get built now who did that those activists those native american water protectors who no one gave a chance to. They said, oh, go home, sit down, sit on your couch, don't don't take any action, you'll never win. They thought, well, that's what you think. We think we might. Never give up hope. The thing that the establishment wants you to do is make sure that you take no action. They love indifference. It's their favorite thing in the world. When you take action it leads to results like this. So this is right in the beginning, it's before Trump even takes office. I'm telling you now, tip of the iceberg. We are gonna have so much action during the Trump administration, and they are going to be shocked at what we can accomplish when we unite together. So whether it's Native Americans, or veterans, or just people who care, environmentalists, whatever the issue might be that says you know what we're tired of the multinational corporations steamrolling us now ironically Trump ran on a campaign of I'm not gonna let those global interests you know uh, steamroll Americans the average American and that is exactly what he's promising to do right now in this Standing Rock situation when he gets in office but if enough of us stand together it turns out we can make a difference like I did a video over the weekend saying what did I tell you what did I tell you the reason I say that is because you gotta trust me that if you get out there and act you'd be amazed at what you could accomplish i think we got a whole amendment to get out and get done there and get money out of politics i think we're gonna change the entire system but standing rock was where it began so joe ellen darcy the army corps of engineers um uh, Spokesperson or Assistant Secretary for Civil Works says, although we have had continuing discussion and exchanges of new information with Standing Rock Sioux and Dakota Access, it's clear that there's more work to do. The best way to complete that work responsibly and expeditiously is to explore alternative routes for the pipeline crossing. Bang. There's your environmental impact statement. That takes a long time to conclude. Be very interested to see how the Trump administration handles that because theoretically, if they care about Rule of law, they can't just cancel that. Now, Standing Rock tribal chairman says the Standing Rock Sioux tribe and all of the Indian country will be forever grateful to the Obama administration for this historic decision. Now, you know, I I should have given uh, the last person involved here more credit in the video that I did over the weekend. I'm gonna do it now. So, we asked and asked and asked President Obama to do something about this. And for a long time, he didn't. And until there was more attention, he was not moved to action. That's true and that's fair. And he said, we're going to let it play out and see how it goes. But now, credit where credit is due. When he had a chance to act, he did act. And he said, no, not on my watch. People say, oh, what difference does it make? It's only got a couple months left, and then Trump's going to come in. Well, whatever difference it's going to make, he's at least going to give it a chance. That's all we've ever asked of him. So thank you, President Obama, much appreciated. It made a huge difference to those water protectors, to Standing Rock, and to everyone else involved. Yes, you can drive your leaders into action, but they've got to take that action, and he was bold enough to do it. Now, here is the National Congress of American Indians President Brian Kladouspi, and he says, my hands go up to all the water protectors who have stood up to protect tribal treaty rights and protect Mother Earth. Thank you for standing for Standing Rock. Now, of course, the Energy Transfer Partners uh, who own all of this are not happy about it and they say that President Obama's decision is quote purely political no actually it's purely by the books that you have to do an environmental impact statement but yeah if you say hey there's politics involved and oh, these meddlesome water protectors and protesters and all the other guys they got people to care and then they took political action oh okay well that's how democracy is supposed to work now are energy transfer partners against political Uh, decisions that are purely political no in fact they say they look forward to it quote Jack Gerard American Petroleum Institute president and CEO backing energy chancellor Partners, says that they reject the Obama administration's shameful actions to deny this vital energy project restore the rule of law in the regulatory process and make this project's approval a top priority as he takes office in January let me translate that to you we would like Donald Trump to take purely political action and actually not go by the rule of law and not do the environmental impact statement that you're supposed to do on every project like this, but make a purely political decision. Now let me go back to quoting Energy Chancellor Partners from the Huffington Post. They added that they remain, quote, fully committed to completing the pipeline without rerouting around Lake Oahi, because they were originally thinking of doing it around Bismarck, but there were too many white folks there. And so they're saying, no, we're not going to go do it by that uh, white area. We still want to do it right through uh, Indian uh, land. And they say nothing this administration has done today changes that in any way. Now, they're putting up a brave front. And I told you, right after President Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, uh frightening every time Um, uh, got elected Uh, the CEO of energy transfer partners came out and said you see that I am now 100% certain that we're going to get things finished and I thought why the panic why do you have to come out and say that it's because there are these contracts with some deadlines that's why they were puffing up their chest and they're doing it again today like oh there's nothing to worry about we're definitely going to get it finished hey our contractual partners please please don't invalidate the contracts he thinks they do protest too much. And then finally, Lillian Molina, a Greenpeace spokesperson says, the incoming Trump administration must respect today's decision and recognize the will of the people to stop this disastrous pipeline. The fight doesn't end today. And I want to end this segment on that note because I want you to understand that. Just because President Obama made this order does not mean that this fight is over. That's why TYT is gonna stay out there and cover all the developments, that 2,000 veterans are still out there and they're still considering what's next. And yes, the police have withdrawn from the bridge. In all the footage that we've shown you, they've got that, they had that barricade from the bridge, but they have moved their barricade a little bit further down the road. So they haven't left. And right now, they are still protecting the drilling pad. They still have not turned the cops around to make sure that the pipeline is not in violation of the law, a law very clearly stated by the Army Corps of Engineers. So this fight is not over. We don't know if those contracts are going to get. Uh, invalidated or if they're going to get renewed we don't know exactly how tr- the Trump administration is going to handle the fact that they must do an environmental impact statement is Trump going to completely shred the law it is entirely possible so the fight is still out there and we're going to cover it for as long as we can if you want to help with that tytnetwork.com slash go but help in any way you think makes sense if you want to get out there and do activism yourself fantastic if you're one of the veterans out there with Wes and Mike Wood fantastic by the way we've got more veterans that work at tyt that are also out there chris huck from our uh, uh pittsburgh office um and uh and then we've got dennis tradio was part of the tyt network and he's out there obviously we've got jordan out there so we've got a big presence out there and we want to keep that going but everyone help in every way that you can and all of you who help support the veterans and and got them out there thank you this couldn't happen without you And so let's keep this fight going because today was a great day, but there's still a lot of fight ahead of us.
1: We just heard clips today starting with a short documentary put together by The Laura Flanders Show. Reverend Roger Ray gave a sermon about Standing Rock and its ties to a tradition of exploitation of Native peoples. Counterspin highlighted the attacks and abuse against independent journalists at Standing Rock. The Laura Flanders Show spoke with Michelle Cook about what it's like to come face-to-face with human rights abuses at Standing Rock. Sam Cedar on The Majority Report spoke with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about the legal battles over the pipeline. The Young Turks put together a short montage of the no Dapple fight that is not yet over. Democracy Now! examined the financial aspect of the pipeline, showing that it is actually on very shaky financial ground and may not even make economic sense to build. Our activism for today is in support of the movement calling on President Obama to declare Standing Rock to be a national monument. And finally, we just heard the Young Turks' announcement of the historic victory denying the permit while recognizing that the fight is still not done. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now we'll hear from you.
3: Hey, this is Kyle in Portland. I called to talk about body shaming. I hear John Oliver, Trevor Noah, Bill Maher, and Tom Hartman did a long segment, long rant about how uh, Trump has small hands and supposedly somebody saw that he has a small penis in a locker room or something. It's really weird. And, uh, I don't know. Part of me always thinks, like, people are too sensitive and making fun of people should be allowed. And the other part of me thinks body shaming someone for something they literally can't control is really, really awful. So I just want to plug that out so that next time, you know, you're laughing at one of your comedians doing it and somebody else does it a few years from now, like, hey, all that's progressives, Keep in mind, we were all laughing. They made fun of Trump, Right like to see if anybody has any thoughts on this. And that's all. Thanks.
11: Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from San Jose. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to contribute to the rephrasing conversation that you guys are talking about, but just one thing I wanted to add in. I just read a really interesting article from a group called Real Life. Um, The article is called, I think, Who Were the Nerds, or what were the nerds? It's essentially a breakdown of how Trump's base and the whole background of the alt right is no longer the religious fundamentalists or the uh, rural South. It's the shitposting nerds who grew up in Reagan's 80s. And The article describes how the conversation of the bully versus the nerd created a story of white oppression that young white men could grab onto and which has fueled their ability to ignore other kinds of victimization, real-world victimizations. Anyway... The site is called Real Life, and the article, I think, is called What Were the Nerds? Check it out. It's really interesting. Keep doing what
3: you do.
4: Hi, Jay. This is Erica from Massachusetts. Longtime listener, first caller. I just listened to the Godwin's Law. Uh, episode. And it was interesting because my area of expertise is 1920s Germany and thought about race and class and identity and all of those things. I just wanted to respond to sort of this idea of why we can't necessarily compare Trump and all of the things we're seeing in the news now with Nazi Germany. We can't totally, it's anachronistic to do that. But at the same time, I sort of see a couple of parallels. You know, this idea that democracy will always be there. Not that the Germans thought that. They thought it was crap. They had a lot of parties. But at the same time, they sort of thought they'd figure it out and some strong leader would take them there. We've kind of gotten used to having democracy and expect that it will be long-lived. It's just the way it is for 200 years. And we sort of are insulated from a lot of the challenges that authoritarianism has given a lot of the world. And in particular, you see the rise of far-right and populism in Europe now. And, of course, dictators like Trevor Noah pointed out. It's just sort of something I see. Interestingly, students are really reluctant to accept that. In my classrooms, I just they don't want to ask, and they want to resist it. So these are just musings. Keep it up. Thank you. And I'll keep on listening. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. A couple of comments today in response to our voicemails. First one, body-shaming Donald Trump. Unfortunately, uh, this voicemail caused me to... Put some thought into Donald Trump and his body, and the concept of shaming it today. Uh, none of which was pleasant. Uh, but I do have an answer for you. First of all, I, I completely agree with the the caller's premise that body shaming is just in general not a good way to go. I've never been a fan of it. Uh, there are a lot of Republicans who progressives and liberals like to make fun of for how they look. Uh, it, there, you know, there's a fair number of. Funny-looking Republicans out there, uh, but I've, I've just never been a big fan of it. Whether we're making fun of uh, people's coloring, I think you'll know what I mean. Um, you know, fat-shaming people again—you'll probably know what I mean. Uh, I, I just don't think it's a good way to go. It, it's petty. It's a cheap joke, and there are so many substantive things that we can, you know, use to make fun of. You, you know, you can still make jokes about other things. You can still get a laugh. Uh, So I've never been a fan of shaming people in, in those ways. So naturally, to be consistent, I'm not in favor of body shaming Donald Trump, although I think that Trump presents a more unique and sort of nuanced angle on this whole conversation than most of those other cases. So in the same way that it is possible to write and perform a funny rape joke, for instance, Without punching down, telling the joke in such a way that you are, you know, you are criticizing the attacker. You are criticizing the powerful person in the scenario. You are not re-victimizing victims of rape. Uh, in, In the same way that that is possible, I think it is possible to make fun of this body shaming issue without it being actual body shaming. Because... Trump is so unique <laughs> as a human, this isn't something that's just being directed at him. He's also actually taken part in it. He has responded to people's criticisms of him really personally, and he's known for like writing notes to people with pictures of his hands talking about how normal his hands are. And he brought up in the middle of a debate how normal his penis size is. So like he's clearly engaged in this. So my perspective on the whole issue of whether or not to bring up this whole body-shaming issue with, with Trump is that I think it's not only okay, but excellent to point out and make fun of Trump's insecurities about this. But it's best to do it in a way that's not actually perpetuating the body shaming, but perpetuating the, basically, you know, harassment and ridicule of this person who is deeply, deeply insecure. And to go one step deeper, I also don't think that as a blanket policy, it's good to make fun of people for being insecure. But Trump is not a normal person. He basically lives his life and ran his campaign on the idea that he is a tough, strong guy who is not at all insecure, and he'll prove it by talking over and over again about how good he is and about how large his penis is, thereby proving how insecure he is. So when I hear people make fun of the size of Donald's hands, that's the perspective I take on it. That's the angle I hope they're going for, and I'm totally okay with that. Secondly today, the call about the article about nerds and the connection with the rise of fascists and and nerds feeling like victims, I haven't had a chance to read that whole article yet, but I'm going to get to it. But I did skim it a little, and it's reminded me of an article from a couple of years ago that was highly praised at the time when it came out called Your Princess is in Another Castle, and it was talking about the connection between sort of nerd- Culture and I, you know, maybe Gamergate was coming out at the time. Uh, and there's this deep connection between obviously not all, but some subsection of so called nerds who have a, a really hard time understanding the concepts of privilege or white supremacy or patriarchy or any of those things because of their personal history of being picked on or made fun of or victimized in you know any variety of ways because of who they are and how they acted in their youth and so now you know maybe they're you know full blown adults with perfectly respectable jobs but there's still this resentment you know about the idea that they're privileged when they feel like they've been victims their whole lives so that was really interesting just in in the in the realm of social justice, that there's this, you know, this segment of people in the video game slash, you know, nerd arena of society who were some of the most vocal people being white male assholes, basically, and sitting at home and harassing like mostly black women on on Twitter. So, you know, that was then, this is now, Feeling like a victim is just one step away from trying to find, uh, you know, some group to blame, which usually ends up being some marginalized group, and then it turns out maybe that it's only a couple more steps before you wittingly or unwittingly become part of this neo-fascist wing uh, springing up, the the so-called alt-right, which, you know, everyone is sort of catching on suddenly that... Oh, you shouldn't call it the all right right because that's a rebranding, obviously, of just regular old white supremacy and hate speech. So, definitely very interesting uh, topics of conversation, and this is not new. It turns out this has sort of been building for a while. If you have thoughts on this or anything else, I would love to hear them. The number again to leave a message, 202-999-3991. I am also continuing to solicit calls from you if you can Describe or explain in some other way uh, something that you heard on the show, uh, take it from a different angle, give it a new perspective, give it another twist, and see if you know maybe someone who heard it on the show and wasn't convinced will maybe hear your explanation and get a better perspective or, or have it maybe click in place. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, the point of this. So I'm doing a little experiment, so keep those calls coming in as well. If there's anything you've heard in the show uh, that you want to take a stab at explaining uh, in a little more uh, deep or interesting way. And finally, just another quick uh, reminder that especially during this holiday period, I would love it if you would use my Amazon link for any holiday shopping you may be doing. Uh, it Doesn't have to be shopping. I mean, it could be uh, you'd be buying office supplies for your business before the end of the year to get all your uh, you know tax deductions in. Uh, it doesn't matter. But you know, it's an amazing way to support a show like this. Uh, you know, imagine whatever you were going to buy already. Eight percent of that, you know, eight percent of the cost could go to a show like mine and then imagine you know maybe a few dozen people do that or a few hundred people do that. and suddenly you realize what a powerful tool this is to support this show. So definitely take the time, go to bestofleft.com and on the sidebar, there's a link to Amazon, pick your country, and make your purchases. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we're putting out there. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode— all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a
2: and shame How we get so trained We could see past
5: our own sad story.